title of this song that we're going to do is Old the Blood. Now, this is our rendition of it, and Belinda has written a verse to precede the song, so she's going to sing that. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart as we sing the song. Don't pay attention to how we sing it. Just pay attention to the words of that song. The words of the song, bless your heart.
blood of Jesus, that's what sets me free. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're in this mini-series dealing with spiritual warfare that every one of us as genuine believers are in every day of our lives. And we're looking at the armor of God, the armor that God has provided for, specifically the, the pieces of that armor. And you'll never have that armor unless you know what it is and you know how to implement it in your life. I would be negligent if I had a room full of soldiers going out into a physical battle and I did not equip you with any kind of armor to protect you to go out. But it would be like me standing up here and saying, the armor is here, grab your armor, and head out for battle. And you have a choice of whether you're going to pick up your armor or you're just going to walk on out there and be an easy target for the enemy. The same thing is true when it comes to our spiritual battle. Every one of us that know Christ as Savior, we're in this warfare, and we have armor that God has made available to us, but unless we choose to use it, it will never do us any good. And you can't use it if you don't know what it is. So it's important for us to get it. So far, <clears throat> we've seen quite a few. Matter of fact, you're almost fully dressed with the armor of God, if you've implemented so far what we've looked at. The belt of truth, the truth of God's Word, not only knowing it, but doing it, <clears throat> using it. The breastplate of righteousness that covers our vitals, our heart, speaking of our mind, our thinking, and our bowels of emotion, affection, our feelings. Those things are important to be guarded. The shoes of peace. We saw that uh, the peace that God offers, uh, he, he offers His peace that passes all understanding. He offers His peace that uh, is for us in the midst of storms, in the midst of storms of decisions, in the midst of storms of difficulties of life. God gives us and will give us His peace. And the shield of faith we saw last week, faith, believe in God. Uh, who do you listen to? Well, you demonstrate who you believe by what you do. So we're to believe God, we listen to what He is saying, and we show that we believe Him by doing the things that He says. Uh, each one of these pieces are very important. And here in verse 17, there are two pieces that are left. It is, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're going to look at the first of these this morning the helmet of, of salvation, understanding what it is and implementing it in our lives. Father, I pray that you would allow me to be able to share very clearly the truth of your word of what this helmet is, what it represents to us, and how we can use it. You have made it for us, and you are here to help us with it. And I pray that you would, uh, right now, allow us to concentrate upon what you're going to share with us. And I pray that... Through this, we may be better equipped to serve you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want us to look at a couple things. One, at the, the helmet of salvation, the helmet's special purpose. Uh, what does any helmet do? Well, the purpose of a helmet, whether it is uh, uh, a motorcyclist helmet, whether it is a construction worker's uh, hard hat, 
or whether it's a soldier's helmet, uh, the purpose of the helmet is to protect the brain. For instance, a football helmet is padded on the inside. And it's a good thing it is, or I might not be able to think today. Uh, and playing football in the, the um, uh, eighth grade through high school, we had a helmet. Back in those days, you were allowed to hit a little differently in tackling and so forth. We were trained, matter of fact, that uh, if we were going to tackle someone, that we would approach them head on. We would put our helmet right into their chest, and then we would put their chest right into the ground. And that's the way you would attack it. And what for a helmet, uh, we would be, be getting up from that uh, quite um, delusion and seeing stars. Uh, there was one instance um, well, when I was in the, uh, the eighth and ninth grade, I played uh, tackle, right tackle, on uh, offense and defense. When I got to high school, we did uh, fullback and uh, linebacker. But in the ninth grade, there was a game in which we were playing. The, the team was, was winning, and the quarterback dropped back into the pocket to pass. And there was another big black guy named Jarvis Moore that was the left tackle, and myself was the right tackle. And, and uh, I never grew much after the ninth grade. So what I was at that time was a big guy. And uh, so here are the two of us big guys, and both of us got through. And he hit him low, and I hit him high, and the coach said he just went, bam! Uh, he just slammed him to the, to the ground. Now, he had to sit out the next uh, a couple of plays, but he didn't get back in there. <clears throat> we weren't trying to, to hurt him permanently or anything, but what we were trying to do, we accomplished. And what we accomplished was that the next few times that he stepped back into the pocket, he wasn't just looking for his open receivers down there, he was looking at these tackles that may be coming at him. And that is what we were trying to do. But if it wasn't for the helmet, for him and for us, we would have been in trouble. In one of our practices, there was a drill that our coach would have in which he would put down a, a two-by-twelve plank board, and he would make us line up two at a time, facing each other in a four-point stance. And every time he blew the whistle, we would fire and hit the other guy and try to knock him back on that uh, plane. And the whistle would keep blowing, and they'd keep blowing, and we would keep firing, and keep firing. Well, there was one guy in particular, I was moving him back, but every time that whistle blew, he hit and he threw his right arm right up against my helmet. Now, I was making headway, but he was making headway. <laughs> if it wasn't for that helmet, he would have knocked me out, because I got out in that seeing stars with the helmet on. And so the, the idea of the helmet is for protection of our brain. Because if our brain becomes damaged, our body becomes damaged. And so it is with the helmet of salvation. It is for the purpose of protecting our mind. Because if our mind becomes damaged in the way that we're thinking, it affects the entire body of us spiritually. So we need to understand its importance uh, just as the brain controls the center of the body, the mind controls the center of our will and our emotions and we must protect our mind. Now look not only at the purpose but look at the helmet's special protection. It's called the helmet of salvation. What is it talking about? First of all understand a similarity and a difference. 
There's a similarity between this piece of equipment uh, for protection and the breastplate of righteousness. Remember the breastplate of righteousness is to protect our vitals. It protects our heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The heart has a lot to do with the mind and its thinking. It's not just limited to that. It's a lot more uh, to do in our life spiritually. But a big emphasis of it is the way that we think. So we have protection in the breastplate as uh, protecting our thinking. We also have protection in the helmet of salvation to protect our mind, to protect, protect us spiritually in our thinking. There's uh, the reason for this. If you'll flip back over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul gives us a reason why we need protection about our thinking because the battle uh, spiritually is so much a battle in and for the mind. Beginning in verse 4 of chapter 10, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, in this physical life, in this physical body, we do not war after the flesh. We don't war a physical warfare. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not fleshly, not physical. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now let's look at, define some of these strongholds. Casting down imaginations. The word imaginations means human opinions, reasoning, philosophies that are opposed to God's thinking. There are a lot of things out of this world today that are being thrown to us and sold to us in our thinking, trying to change our mind to be more like the world's thinking. A good, godly worldview is important. And we receive it from the Word of God, and we are to guard the thinking so that we don't adapt, uh, adopt some of these world philosophies or other philosophies that are not in line with God in our thinking. So it's a part of our thinking here, of our imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of, of God. Knowledge has to do with our brain, our mind, and our learning. And bringing into captivity every thought. There's the third time. Our thoughts to the obedience of Christ. Three times in that one verse, he defines what these strongholds are that need to be protected. And all of it has to do with the mind. And so the emphasis there is that the spiritual battle, the spiritual warfare that we face every day of our lives is a warfare that takes place primarily right here in our mind, in our thinking. That's where many of the battles are won or lost in our thinking. So keep that in mind as to the similarity that is there. But there's a difference. It protects our thinking in specific areas. Um, this is a helmet of salvation. A helmet of salvation. I'm going to tell you now something you already know. Sit back and you relax. You already got this. If you don't, you need to have already had it. It's that important. I've shared it with you before, but it's part of this particular piece of armor, so we need to go back over and just repeat it one time real quick. The doctrine of salvation. Doctrine simply means teaching. The teaching or doctrine of salvation, what is that called? What is the big word that we use that called the doctrine of salvation? Soteriology. Now, you don't have to know that part, okay? That's but soteriology is the doctrine of salvation. It's our understanding of salvation. There are three primary tents in our salvation. 
Back in January of 1965, in 69, I got saved. I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've always been in church, but I've never come to the point that I had to make that choice. That's in the past. That's the past aspect of my salvation. We call that uh, being saved from the penalty of our sin. For the wages of our sin is death. That death is not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. And when I trusted Christ as Savior, God saved me from the penalty of death. I would not have to die and go to hell for all eternity to pay for my sin. But it's also called justification. The word justification is what salvation is. Justification, there are two main thoughts of it. One is uh, he makes us just as if we had never sinned. And it also means that he declares us righteous. So in the past, when I trusted Christ as Savior, I was saved from the penalty of sin. I was justified. I was made as if I had never sinned. And I was declared by God to be righteous in his life. That's in the past. Now, we are all, if we have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, that's in the past. That's not in the present. It's not in the future. That's not what the heaven of salvation is dealing with. It's already been dealt with. But now we have the present tense of salvation. The present tense of salvation is we're saved from the very power of sin. Romans chapter 6, you remember? It says that sin shall not have any more dominion over us. Dominion is the word for power. We have an electric company entitled Dominion Energy. It's a, a double play on words. It's power, power. Uh, that's what the word dominion means. It shall not have any more dominion. Sin will not have dominion over me, power over me, authority over me. I have a choice then. I can yield my body to serve the Lord, or I can yield my body to serve sin. It's a choice. I'm not in bondage, enslaved to it, but I have a choice to be made. So it is a... A present tense, the saved from the power of sin, that's sanctification. It starts at the day I'm, I'm saved and ends when I die or when the rapture takes place. God is working on us in sanctification to make us more like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That part we'll see in just a moment is part of this helmet of salvation. And the third part is also the future part where we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. When we're taken out of this world, we're in God's presence. And there's our glorification. Uh, one day, our, this struggle, the warfare that we're in, is going to be over. Praise the Lord for that. I look forward to it. The help of salvation then involves two areas. Keeping our eye on the future. There's light at the end of the tunnel. It represents hope. Yesterday, Vicki and I put up a 208-year of corn. Um, Huh? <laughs> it was a lot. It took us the majority of the day. I finished cutting off corn at about 7 o'clock last night. Um, but then the whole process of shucking and, and, and whatnot, uh, of doing that by ourselves, it took all day long. I kept going and going. I thought my hand was going to cramp up. But as the corn piles got less and less, there was light at the end of the tunnel. I could say, just a few more. I'll be able to get that done. Uh, the same way when we think about our glorification and being saved 
from the very presence of sin. There's coming a day that we're not going to have a struggle anymore. There's coming a time in which we're not going to have to get up and, and make it a choice to yield our body into righteousness or yield our body into sin. We won't have that struggle anymore. We will be living for the Lord. We'll be serving Him. And there will not be a conflict that we'll be going through. That is a great thing to look for. That's an encouragement that we can have. It represents hope that one day the war will be over. Secondly, uh, the help of salvation involves guarding our mind in the present, in this present tense. While we're struggling with this choice, we're no longer uh, in bondage to sin, but we have an everyday choice uh, to make. It is uh, these two primary areas that the devil seeks to attack us. And when the devil seeks to attack us, uh, there are a couple things that he seeks to do. And that's what I want to spend our time uh, here the rest of this morning looking at. Two things in particular that the devil tries to do. The first one has to do, both of them have to do with our salvation. The first one has to do with doubt. How many of us have ever doubted our salvation? And this is what I mean by it. It crossed our mind, did I really do that? Did I really get saved? Have, have, have I done what God said totally? You know, am I sure? Or maybe it's because the devil came and whispered a little thing and says, hey, did you see what you just did? You see, you know, what you just uh, said? You're not really saved. You just pretended. Maybe it's uh, something else that happens that, that causes us to doubt our salvation. And we, for a moment there, we begin to question, Lord, if, am I truly saved? And, and as long as we are in doubt, we're not going to be serving the Lord properly. The devil has us frozen in what we're doing. There are so many things that could illustrate that in our lives. When we do not know the facts, when we do not know the truth, when we are in doubt, we're hesitant. And we need to understand that Satan tries to get you to doubt your salvation because he knows if he can get you there, you'll be useless spiritually. Now note a fact about salvation. Uh, just a few pages back over uh, from Ephesians uh, chapter 6 into Ephesians 2. There's the famous passage dealing with salvation in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 8. And I want you to consider this. It says, For by grace, one of the great words I love in, in the Bible is God's grace. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We're made a new creature in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We have here that we are saved, first of all, by grace. We access it through faith. And it is for good works. Notice that salvation is not just for a ticket that I can get to heaven. It's never just about that. But when I got saved, God did all of that taken away of my sin. He declared me righteous. He placed me in the family of God. I have the inheritance of Jesus Christ with Him. And I have one day a home in heaven 
but also have a spiritual warfare that I'm involved in and also have a responsibility that since he died for me, I should live for him. And so all of these things go together and it's part of that grace gift. He gave it by His grace. I want you to understand three things about God's grace. First of all, it is undeserved. Look at salvation. Salvation is something that God gives us that is good, but it's something that not a one of us deserves. None of us deserve to be saved. Every one of us deserves to die and go to hell because we're sinners. That's the truth. God didn't look at me and say, hey, that Randy Blackwell down there, one day uh, I think he'll become a minister for me. I'm going to go ahead and save him. No, not at all. He looked down and he saw Randy Blackwell and he said, that scandal, that sinner, he ain't got a, a look of good in him at all. He's heading for trouble all the way. But it was God's grace that he offered salvation is God great. Every gift that God gives to us, all of the promises of God that He gives to us, it's by His grace that He offers it because we don't deserve it. Grace is undeserved by us. Secondly, grace is unmerited. As we read there in, in Ephesians 2, it's not by works that we have done. We can't do anything to merit or to earn our salvation or earn any good thing that God would give us. It's not based on that. It is unmerited. And thirdly, it is has nothing to do with me or with you. God's grace is all about what God does for you. We see that specifically in salvation. God did it all. There was nothing that I did to provide salvation for me. Even the faith that I did, I didn't just reach out and muster up enough faith that I can believe. No, it says, uh, for, uh, for by grace you're saved through faith in that. So a lot of people believe that, that that refers to faith, that that is, even faith is not of yourself. God even helps us with the faith to trust Him. And so it's important for us to realize that grace is undeserved, is unmerited, and it has nothing to do with me or you. It's all about what God gives us. And God graciously gives us His salvation, and God graciously gives us everything that we need to live for Him today. It's found over in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and following, where it says in verse 2, Grace, now we're talking about it, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you, through the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord, according to His divine power, hath given us, His grace has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that called us into glory and virtue, whereby we are given, uh, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. It goes on down and, and sees some other areas that are given to us to add to our faith. God has given to us all of these things through His grace. His grace has provided everything that we need for life, living in this world, and for godliness, living in a godly way in this world. God has provided all of it for us. 
A man was given a special gift, a cruise. He had never been on a cruise before, so he was extremely excited about going on this one. Um, he didn't have to pay anything. The person that was giving him the cruise paid for it all. Throughout the week on the cruise, a crew member noticed that the man frequently ate the free crackers and juice provided on the deck. Uh, wondering why, the crew member asked, he said, Sir, how did you enjoy the cruise? And said, It was spectacular, the man replied. I've never experienced anything like this before. Very good, sir, the crew member said. I noticed that uh, you uh, really liked the crackers and the juice on the deck. I was just wondering why. Well, the man replied, I saw all of the great meals being offered all week long, but I didn't have any money. And since the crackers and juice were free, I decided I'd live on them during the cruise. The crew member sighed, you know what he's going to say. Someone uh, didn't give you all the information. When your friend paid for the ticket, it not only included getting onto the boat and going everywhere the boat went, but it included also everything to eat on the boat as well. All your food was covered in the price of the ticket. Wow. Makes me want to go on a cruise. <laughs> but look at the spiritual implication of it. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. It is the truth that we have there that what a disappointment this man would have had thinking of it and think, wow, I could have enjoyed all of that good food and, and all of the uh, desserts and the, and the snacks uh, that were available free to me and I just didn't know. God's grace provides everything we need. We don't pay for it. Jesus paid it all. He gives us everything that we need to live on this earth and to live godly it's all important, provided including salvation. Praise the Lord. So then, don't doubt the salvation. When the devil comes your way and tries to get you to, to doubt what you believed and what God has said, but believe what Jesus said, the true doctrine of, of eternal security. In John chapter 10, verse 27, 28, you remember where Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. Let me ask you, how long is eternal life? What? Forever. Eternal means it doesn't end. If it's eternal life, how can you ever lose it? How can it ever stop? I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not not die and go to hell, but have everlasting life with God in heaven. My sheep hear my voice. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. They shall never die and go to hell. My father, to me, um, the end of the verse says, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Jesus is saying there's nothing internal within you that can ever cause your eternal life to end. And there's nothing outside of you that can ever take it away either. We are secure in Him. Once we have genuinely trusted Christ as our Savior, nothing can change that. We are a child of God. Now, God does change us. 
and we start to live for him, and the person that says, I got saved, and now I've got it, I'm, I'm on my way to heaven, I'm going to take off and just live like I want to, mark it down, that person didn't get saved. Because God begins to change us, and we don't go live like that anymore. We may fall into sin, but we don't stay there. And so it's important for us to know, not to doubt, but to trust the Lord. Who are you listening to? We don't need to doubt, but be secure in your salvation. The second thing that the devil tries to attack is discouragement. Uh, if you want to turn with me over to 1 Kings chapter 19, I had Stephen read there in chapter 18 an introduction to what I'm going to give in the illustration here with Elijah. You remember Elijah? God used to do that great miracle. And um, he said, gather all the people and gather the prophets of, of uh, Baal and uh, all the false prophets, about 850 of them total. And we're going to have a, a duel here, a sacrifice uh, playoff. And uh, you have your bull and you get your wood and you pray to your gods uh, that he'll send down fire. And nothing ever happened. And uh, so Elijah had his bull. He got fire. He told us, come on, drench it all with water. Uh, so he drenched it all with water, and then he prayed, and God sent down fire, consumed the, the animal, consumed the wood, he even evaporated up all of the water. God did that, and the people said, hey, he is God. He is God. Well, when Ahab got back to his wife Jezebel, you know who Jezebel is, that's why nobody calls their daughters Jezebel. Um, She's the one that was so wicked. And when she found out that Elijah had killed all of the pro her prophets, she said, tomorrow about this time, I'm going to do the same to you. And so Elijah began to run for his life. And he ran as far as Bathsheba. And then, then it says that he went a days further after he left the servant there. And, and he got up under a juniper tree. And Elijah was discouraged. He was fearful for his life. He prayed. That's the only good thing he did. He prayed the wrong prayer. He said, Lord, just, just let my life be in right here. Let my life be over. I'm not doing any good. They're out trying to, to kill me. I'm the only one that's been trying to serve you with any, any zealous at all, any zeal at all. And now they're trying to take my life. God asked him to ask a question. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? God asks us the same question sometimes. Why are you discouraged? Why are you in despair? What are you doing to your life? And then he told him to go stand at the beginning of the entrance of the cave. And you know how the verse says that he sent the earthquake and it rent the rocks and the, the God was not in the, the earthquake and the, he sent the wind and it blew and God was not in the wind. But then there was this still, small voice. God spoke to Elijah in that still, small voice. And again, he said, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah spilled out the same old thing. Hey, I'm the only one that's living for you and, and, and they're trying to take my life. And, and God said, listen, this is what I want you to do. Pick up reading there in verse 15. He says, And the Lord said unto him, Go return to thy way into the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hathiel to be king over Syria, and Jehu to be uh, the son of uh, Nashai, shall, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Saphat, of 
Now the Mehola uh, shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room, in thy stead, in your place. In other words, when he goes on down, he says in verse 18, And I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the medians which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. You're not by yourself. But this is what he told Elijah to do. Elijah's in the juniper tree, in despair. What are you doing here? Come up here and listen to me. And he speaks to him in a still, small voice. And he says, what are you doing, Elijah? Get up and go do this. Anoint this one, and anoint this one, and anoint this one. And understand that I've got 7,000 more that have not bound to me to, to false gods. Get busy for me. You're not alone, is the message. A man was given a special uh, assignment. He was the told about a discouraged minister once dreamed that he had a, he was standing on top of a great uh, granite rock and he was trying to break it with a pickaxe and after he had worked worked and worked there was no result and at last he said it is useless I'll stop and suddenly a man by him asked he says were you not allotted this task pickaxe and if so why are you going to abandon it my work is vain the minister said I can make no impression on the granite. Uh, then the stranger, uh, Solomon, replied, That is nothing to you. Don't you worry about that. Your duty is to pick whether the rock yields or not. The work is yours. The results are in other hands. Work on. Story tells in his dream, the minister decided to go ahead and work on, and the next time he hit the rock, it all disintegrated into little pieces. The point is this. We can become discouraged sometimes. We can become to the point that we feel like that our work is in vain. It's empty. It's useless. I'm not accomplishing anything. But God says to us, I've given you a task. Listen to me. Go and do what I've asked you to do. Don't worry about the results. They're mine, God says. He brings the increase. We're to work on. He told Paul to say in Galatians 6, 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing. Don't get discouraged in doing what is right, what God says. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not, if we don't give up. Know that Satan brings discouragement. But also know and remember Romans 13, 11, now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. There's light at the end of this tunnel. The war is almost over. The battles are going to be few still. Reminded me of a song. It says there's a line that is drawn through the ages. On that line stands an old rugged cross. On that cross a battle is raging to gain a man's soul for its loss. On one side march the forces of evil, all the demons, all the devils of hell. On the other, the angels of glory, and they meet on Galgotha's hill. The earth shakes with the force of the conflict, 
and the sun refuses to shine. For there hangs God's sun in the balance. And then, through the darkness, he cries, It is finished. The battle is over. It is finished. There will be no more war. It is finished. The end of the conflict. It is finished. And Jesus is Lord. You know, he has done that. He has finished everything for our salvation. But the song goes on. It says in the next verse, Yet in my heart the battle was still raging. Not all prisoners of war had come home. There were battlefields of my own making. I didn't know that the war had been won. Oh, but then I heard the King of Ages had fought all the battles for me and that victory was mine for the claiming. And now, praise his name, I am free. It is finished. The battle is over. It is finished. There will be no more war. It is finished. The end of the conflict. It is finished. Praise God. And Jesus is Lord. Amen to the victory that God has given us. Our battles are almost over. Don't give up now. Don't quit now. Don't let the devil discourage you, for in due season we shall reap if we think not. Do please bow your heads with me. Think about this as our instruments begin to play just shortly. As I've been saying to you each Sunday, we need this armor in order for us to withstand the attacks of the devil, to withstand the battles that he sends our way, and to be able to stand and not lose ground. But we can't have it. We can't have the victory. We won't have the armor if we don't know what it is and how to implement it in our lives. Today, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Guard your mind. Guard your thinking. Specifically, don't let Satan cause you to doubt your salvation and keep you crippled. Don't let Satan keep you in discouragement and not serving the Lord faithfully. He has given the victory. He fights the battles for us. He made the statement that true, it is finished. He's done it all. He's given us by His grace everything that we need to live in this life and to live godly in this life. We shall reap. We'll accomplish what He wants if we think Don't give up. Trust the Lord to give you the victory in that battle. Father, I pray that as we conclude this service, that you allow us to walk out of here with the helmet of salvation, that we would understand what you have provided as an encouragement in our life not to let Satan trip us up in despair and discouragement. Lord, that we would follow you and do those things that you say. That we would listen for your still small voice through your word as you meet with us. Thank you for that victory that you have given. Help us to claim it. Help us to enjoy it. 
help us to look forward one day, Lord, as we see light at the end of this tunnel, that this war, this battle will be over. We thank you for that victory as well. In Jesus' name I pray. I do want to thank each one of you for being a part of our service today and praise the Lord for you being here. I hope that's been a, an encouragement to you, a help to you as you uh, look at the day-to-day battles that you face and uh, make sure that you use the armor as God has intended for us to have. Uh, just a couple